Last week, when we started talking about false conversion, we talked about this idea of deconstruction and what's happening. And the term deconstruction is a term used a lot in the last few years, and it's, it, it refers to apostasy. And if you remember, I, I talked about Judas being the most famous apostate, but Simon the Magician was an apostate too. He was a guy who intellectually bought in to the facts about Jesus and, and yielded to Him momentarily for the power that Jesus could offer. It was all about the power with Him. And I think we see that a lot in our culture. A lot of people want Jesus for what He can do for, him, for them or what He can help them avoid. They're in a bad way, but they're not yielding because God the Father has opened their eyes through the Holy Spirit to see and respond. Because the gift of faith is something we can't even, we can't manufacture. I mean, we, we can exercise a human faith and stuff, but that fails. It always does. And, and it sounds weird that God Himself has to give us the faith to believe in Him, but He does. He wants a heart that's, that's humble. A heart that's dependent. A heart that wants to be changed. And so, we can't manufacture it, but you know what we can do? We can ask Him, God, please open my eyes. Take pride out of my life. Help me to want to depend on You. I, I tend to be independent. Lord, change me from the inside out. Lord, I want to know You. I want to know my Creator. I want to know my Father. Those are prayers that we can pray that I believe in the Word when He says, ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. I believe those are the prayers that He's talking about and He will answer. And so, as we look at the church and how the church is unfolding, Luke is presenting how the church continued the work of Jesus. And we saw in Acts chapter 1 how it started where they replaced Judas with another guy named Matthias. And they became the 12 apostles that were the special anointed sent ones from Jesus that would be His witnesses and the leaders that would be the foundation of the church. We saw in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came, entered into the disciples and not just the apostles, but all the disciples that were there so that they were speaking in unknown languages. The people around them heard that. This was not a normative thing. But at that time, it was judgment on the people of Israel. Why? If you go back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied that you will hear the things of God in foreign tongues. And that was a prophecy fulfilled. And so people have tried to make that normative today. It's not normative. It doesn't mean that God can't do that. It just means it's not a normative experience. There's lots of those in Acts. We're going to see others today. Or we talked about them last week. And so Acts chapter 2 moves into chapter 3 where Peter, well actually Peter preaches at the end of chapter 2. And what happens? 3,000 people have new birth. 3,000 people come into the family of God. And, and all of a sudden the religious leaders get upset and then they haul them in in front of them say, you got to stop this. And under the power of the Spirit, they say, no, we can't. we got to tell what God tells us to say. Yeah. And, and so they, they let them go. And then Peter and John go into the temple. They see a guy there who asks them for money. They give him healing because they're modeling what Jesus did. And then 
All of a sudden, they get another opportunity to preach. This time, 5,000 men come to Christ. Another eight, that's 8,000 people now in the family. They start having problems. They select people to minister to the Greek widows because they're being overlooked. You've got all these people from all over the world who were Jewish who come for the feast that now have been exposed to the fact that Messiah's there and they don't want to leave. And so they've got widows there from outside of Jerusalem and they're being ignored because, well, they're not just being ignored, they're just not a priority because they're prioritizing the Jewish widows that were in the city and these people outside weren't getting fed. And so the disciples, who are the apostles, say, hey, we got to fix this, but we can't do this. we got to be preaching and teaching so they select seven men. The first one was Stephen, who was full of faith. But Philip was one of those guys. The guy we're going to read about today. And so there were five other guys with these guys who all they did was go and serve tables. They served people. Like we go down to the north side and give out food. That's what they were doing. It, it, they were in uh, unloading trucks in that day. You know, They were taking food to people. These weren't super trained seminary guys. They were just guys who were serving. That, that Their hearts had been changed and they said, okay God, whatever you want, I'll do. And then, after that happened, we see Stephen also on the scene where he starts, uh, he starts preaching and what happens is he ends up being martyred. He's the first martyr. And he's martyred, and it's a beautiful picture in Acts chapter 7 of, of the unfolding plan of God given by Stephen, who was a Hellenistic Jew, who had not been exposed to Messiah except for a very short amount of time, and now he lays his life down and is probably more like Jesus at this moment than any of the apostles where he says, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Lord. He prays for the people as they're killing him. And then we went into Acts chapter 8. And we saw Saul, who was there when he was being killed. Now they laid the garments at his feet. He was approving of it. It says in Acts 1.8.1 that he approved of it. And then he went house to house, dragging men and women. And he said he was ravaging the church. And that, so all these 8,000 people scattered. These people scattered and they went throughout all of Israel. And he picks up, Luke, the writer, picks up on one story in Philip encountering Simon the magician in Samaria. Why is that important? Because the Jews hated Samaria. And we, saw, we talked about it last week. How even for Philip to go to Samaria was a big deal. Much less to go and proclaim Messiah there. But remember who else had been there? Jesus, Jesus had been there. He had encountered the woman. What did the woman do? She went and told the whole city. They came back. And they all listened. But they had all not been born again yet. Why? The Holy Spirit hadn't been given. So the work had been done already by Jesus. And here comes Philip coming into the city. And this guy who had amazed people with black magic or demonic magic, he had been in there. And what happened is these people were blown away by him. He was not a David Copperfield guy. He was real demonic supernatural stuff and they were like captivated by him. It says from the least to the greatest. And we saw Simon buy into it because he wanted to buy it. He wanted to possess it, to use it for his own ambition and his own glory. And we saw he was a false convert. But 
Luke is so great because now he takes us right into true conversion. And we see an Ethiopian eunuch. And it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful contrast. Simon the magician, here's a guy who was well-known, powerful, lots of influence. You would think this would be the guy that I want to win to Christ because he's going to win everybody else to Christ. And instead, what happens is he's a false convert, but then there's this guy over here from Ethiopia. It's not the country of Ethiopia. It was really Africa. He was a Jew, either by being proselyte or by just being a Hellenistic Jew outside of Jerusalem or outside of Israel. But he was Jewish. He was not Gentile. Had he been Gentile, then they would have talked about him the way they talked about Cornelius, but they didn't. He was a proselyte. And in this text today, we're going to see, we're going to see three things that God calls you and me to do. We see in the life of Philip. One of them is to shema and obey him. To shema and obey his leading. Whenever he leads us. Shema, I talked about that at the beginning. What does that mean for you guys who know I've been to Israel and I've talked about it in here. What does Shema mean? Yeah, it means listen. It doesn't just mean picking up the auditory signals. It means picking up the auditory signals and letting those signals go through your heart to an action taking place. That, that's what Shema means. So we have to Shema and obey His leading when it comes to us. Many times God gives us divine appointments. Sometimes they just fall into your lap. I love John MacArthur says that one time he was getting on a plane and he had been speaking at a conference and he just got on the plane and he was wanting to go to sleep. And this guy goes, uh, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you, but can, can you tell me about Jesus? I mean, the guy didn't know him, didn't know he was a pastor, didn't know anything. And he just asked him, well, in the FBI, we call that a clue, okay? The Holy Spirit is moving. That's a divine appointment. There's another guy uh, named Ian Thomas who's also a ministry leader. He had the same kind of experience. There was a guy on a plane with him, and, he, and he's trying to go to sleep because he'd been speaking someplace, and this guy goes, psst. You ever have anybody do that? I don't think I've ever had anybody go that. But this guy goes, psst, psst, like two or three times. And he finally opened his eyes and looked over. And the guy goes, excuse me, I'm reading about this guy named Nicodemus in the Bible. And I don't understand anything. Can you help me? Amen. Those are divine appointments. And here's the thing. God chooses to use human obedience to carry out His plans and His channel of blessing in people. That's how He works. See, when He chose Israel, they were chosen to be a channel, not a reservoir. They, if you've been to Israel, you know what the Dead Sea is, right? Yep. It's dead. Nothing goes or grows in there. There's no life in the Dead Sea. Why? Because it's just a reservoir. Everything goes in, but nothing goes out. And that's not what God wants His church to be. It's not what He wants us to be. He wants us to be a channel. 
And that's why it's a sin for you to get all this information and then not do anything with it. For you to get information brings responsibility. When you, when, when you hear God's Word proclaimed every week if you go to church, you hear something you go, wow, he was terrible today. I didn't like the way... Man, I didn't like his stories. I mean, he was boring or whatever. You're thinking more about the medium than the message. You're more concerned with the communication style than the content. And we need to get beyond that to listen. I don't care who's preaching, who's teaching God's Word. If somebody opens up God's Word, we ought to have an ear that parks up and go, okay, God may reveal something to me through His Word. That's how He speaks to us. He doesn't speak extemporaneously like, okay, Andrew, I want you to go to the 7-Eleven. There's a guy there. He speaks through His Word, but He does prompt through His Spirit in us. And we do hear an inner voice. It may not be that external voice. But because we know what His Word says, and we know what He's called us to do, when we hear that inner voice, we respond because we spend time with Him. It's like you know your wife's voice, your child's voice, your friend's voice, because you spend time conversing and you know them. If you never spend time with God, how are you going to know His voice? Not. Our seeking the Spirit's guidance and obeying what He wants us to do and say is the way God works to bless the world. His sovereign hand plus man's obedience will produce blessings in the lives of people. Why? Because He touches lives through people. Some people call it God with skin on. But He works through His people. When he, when he brought Lazarus out of the tomb, He could have told that rock, move. But He chose to involve the disciples and said, hey, you guys go move the rock. He didn't need them to do that. He calmed the sea, man. He could do whatever He want. He could have just gone, and that rock would have gone. But He used the disciples in the same way He uses me and you, and He wants us to be vessels of blessing to people. We look at it as an obligation instead of thinking about the people that are not getting what you and I may have. We've got to have a heart to share the good news with people. So, that's the first thing. That we have to shema and obey His leading. Second, we have to know His Word and be prepared to share the good news. He calls us to know His Word and to be prepared to share the good news. And third, He calls us to encourage others to obey His commands. He wants us to do that. If you see a guy, if I see Chuck, and I don't know Chuck that well, but I still know Chuck professes to be a believer, and I see Chuck being disobedient to one of Christ's commands, I have a spiritual responsibility to say something to him. We don't like doing that. We don't like it when people do that to us. But we have a responsibility to do it. 
to encourage others to obey his commands. So those are the three things that really, there's lots of things we can get out of this narrative. It's a narrative passage, right? So he's telling a story. So he's, it's not like when Paul writes Galatians or, or Colossians or Philippians where he gives you commands and imperatives. He's just telling a story. So you have to be careful about drawing imperatives out, but we can draw principles out. And that's why when we look at this passage, there are things here that give us, we can observe, but they're not necessarily normative. But it it is something that reveals how God worked in this particular case, and we can learn from it. So we're going to read the text, and we're going to come back and look at each one of these. Shema and obey is leading, know his word, be ready to share, and then encourage others to obey his commands. Starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, rise, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That word good news for you guys who weren't here is euangelizo. Euangelizo is the Greek word. It's only used when an emperor was coronated, an emperor was born, or an emperor had received a great victory in battle. So only time that word was used in that culture back then. So Luke is very specific when he refers to it as good news. And, And that's the same word used in Romans 10. Um, where uh, Paul quotes how blessed is the feet of those who bring good news, which was from Isaiah 52. And what is the good news? Our God reigns. We have salvation and our God reigns. That's what it is. So he said, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now for him to ask that means that Philip told him about baptism. But you don't see it in the text. You know why? Because if everything that was said was written, the world couldn't contain all the books. So that gives us a clue, guys. When we see something like that in Scripture, you go, well, wow, he talked about baptism, but we don't see anything about baptism in the Scripture. He talked probably about a lot of stuff. 
What he talks about in the scripture is what God wants us to know, but he does give us an indirect uh, uh, light here into the conversation because he says, see, here's water, as if they had just been talking about baptism. Now, where are they at again, Aaron? In the desert. They're in the desert. Have you ever been to the Israeli desert? Ain't a lot of water there this time of year. California desert. Wadis will get water, but there was water there at that moment when they went by it. Another divine thing. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. It had nothing to do with Philip and everything to do with Jesus. Sometimes we forget that. God took Philip out of the equation and sent this Ethiopian on his way and he was joyful. Why? Because he knew Messiah. He had been born again and he was a true convert. But Philip found himself at Azotus and he passed through, as he passed through, he preached the gospel. That's that word down there again, euangelizo, to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And that's where he ended up staying in Caesarea. May God bless his word. Amen. Shema and obey his leading. In verse 26, it says, The angel said, Rise and go south. The angel didn't tell him where he was going. He didn't say go to this particular place. He just said rise and go south down this road. The angel prompted him. You know, I find in, in life a lot, I want to know where God's taken me. And I had a friend one time because I was so frustrated because I'm like, I don't understand why this... I, I, I just I feel frustrated because I don't know where God wants me to go. He said, well, following God is a lot like crossing a stream with rocks. And the water's covering the rocks. And every now and then, God will open up a rock for you to take another step. And then He'll cover the next step and you can't see it again. Then He'll open up and take another step. Our problem is we want to see down the road and we want to be, I've got to be focused in on that target. And what we've got to realize is many times God just wants us to obey Him, to obey His commands, and do what He's called us to do and not necessarily bring about a particular result. He just told Philip to go. He knew Philip was going to preach because that's what Philip did. He's preaching. He's an evangelist now. He's out sharing the good news with people. So he just said, go. Go. And so he went. Forgive my ignorance, but what does being a eunuch mean? What is a eunuch? Well, I'm going to explain that. You're a good <laughs> disciple because you're getting ahead of me there. There you go. That's what a good disciple... Probably knew, but... uh, no, that's, no, that's good. We're getting there. But I want to point out, twice it says the Spirit told him to do something and he did it. The second time, the Spirit said, go up next to this guy in the chariot and it says he ran. This was not timid obedience. This was bold obedience. God wants us to be bold, obedient men. Not weak and timid men. Paul says, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of timidity but one of power and strength. If you got God's Spirit, we don't have to fear anything. We go. And here's the thing. When he's telling Philip this, Philip is a nobody. He's a Hellenistic Jew, has no money. 
he's, he's in a place where he doesn't really know that well. And he sees this guy that's got almost like a harem with him. He's a chief financial officer for the queen of Ethiopia. With a, a probably he's in a chariot that's either being carried by men, but he's got an entourage. Imagine that for a second. There's, there's, there's somebody really important that pulls up out in front of the Salem Center and you're getting ready to walk out and God prompts you to go up to that guy and say, hey, do you know Jesus? How many of us would be bold to do that? Are we thinking, I'm not going to do that. I don't even know this guy. And so, he shemad, first of all, he was sensitive and he heard the Spirit moving him to do that. And he obeyed. I want to point out a couple of things, Jimmy, before I get to the eunuch, because that's coming. But in Mark 1, 35-39, there's a story. Jesus is in Capernaum. Jesus is having this unbelievable day of ministry. He is healing people. The whole city's just excited. And it says, Jesus withdrew to a desolate place. Why? Because He went to be with His Father. A lot of times when we start experiencing success, we ditch God. Because we feel like, okay, God's got me here and now I got it. Instead of depending on But listen what happens over in Mark 1.35. It's really insightful. Because he says, Rising early in the morning, it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, Everyone's looking for you. Don't you understand? It's coming. You're Messiah. Everybody's excited. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. What? Peter goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, we've got TBN coming in. We've got cameras. We're, gonna, we're, we're videotaping all this stuff down here. This is amazing what's happening. And he says, no, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's what I came for. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Well, the word towns in verse 38, I think it's only used once in the whole New Testament. And it's, it means an unwalled city. If a city didn't have a wall, it wasn't very important. Because a wall was defensive. And so if there was no wall, I find it interesting that that's the word that's used when Jesus says we got other cities to go to, to these unwalled cities. Well, what about Capernaum? What about this great place of commerce? This would be the place that we should be. You know, we, we got to go to Jacksonville, not Palatka. Who goes to Palatka? Sorry, all the Palatka guys. Sorry, Jimmy. Sorry, Jimmy. Yeah, I know that. I'm messing with Jimmy. But you know what I'm saying? You would think you go to the major cities. How many times do you see evangelists and all these people going to little out, out places? They go to the big cities, the hubs. Why? Have more influence. Jesus said, no, we're going to these places. Sensitive to His Father. Acts 4, I talked about it earlier when Peter and them were told not to speak. No, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They said, listen, we have to tell what we've seen and heard. The Spirit gave them boldness. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit said to Peter, 
after he'd had a vision, listen, you're going to have three guys who uh, come to the door. You need to go with them. And did he go? Yes, he went. He was obedient. He heard and he obeyed. He heard and obeyed. Acts 16. Sometimes the, the, sometimes God tells us not to go. In Acts 16, He told Paul, listen, you ain't going to Asia and you're not going to Bithynia. I don't want you going there right now. you got other things. So, shemaying and obeying sometimes means that we don't do something. We have a hard time with that too. But it seems like such a good idea. God says, no. How could He do that? Because He heard and He obeyed. Sometimes the Spirit lets us know, kind of get that inner voice telling you this is about to happen. Acts 20, when Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, you're never going to see my face again. Prison awaits me. Beatings await me. But it's okay. I just want to be faithful to the ministry God's called me to. It's not about my success in the world. This, listen, the, these divine encounters are God whispering to us a lot of times to do something, and we don't always want to do it. I was in Houston two years ago, and I was out there speaking at a church, and it was a Saturday before I, speak, I spoke on Sunday. I was there speaking at a conference on Saturday, and so it was Saturday afternoon, so I went back to the hotel. My back was hurting, and they had an outside hot tub. So nobody was down there, so I went and got in the hot tub. I'm just sitting in the hot tub, just me in Texas by myself. And all of a sudden, there was this guy and this girl come out with their computers, and they're sitting at a table. And uh, he has on, like, military-style shorts, like cami shorts. Um, and, uh, you know, I can tell he's prior military or he's law enforcement or something. And they're on their computers, and I'm sitting in the hot tub, and I'm getting ready to go up, and I heard that voice say, you need to go talk to him. And I'm like, man, I don't even have a shirt. I'm like, I got a towel. So they just went down with my towel, and I, I'm like, this is awkward, but I sensed the Spirit saying, go talk to him. So I went over and started talking to him. And, you know, they asked me what I was doing there, and I told them. And a lot of times when you tell people you're speaking at a church, or they, they want to say, yeah, yeah, you know, I think that's good, or that's important, or, you know, they, they want to have some kind of identification with religion, and that's what had happened. They, they acknowledged that, because I asked them, I just said, is faith something important to you guys? Oh, yeah, it is, it is. And then I had a few other comments, and I shared my testimony with them, my story of my bird strike and how God opened my eyes to some things and, and, and just shared the gospel with them. And they didn't pray to receive Christ. They didn't, you know, they just, I invite them to come to church. Ask them if it made sense. Yeah, uh, it did. And they both acknowledged they had done that, okay, after I shared it. And so, so I, I said, okay. I said, that's awesome. But I, neither one of them were married. They didn't have their rings on anyway. And they were boyfriend and girlfriend, they told me. And they were older. They were in their 50s. And so I... Um, I walked away and I heard that voice again inside. I, I just, you got to go back. I'm like, okay, this is really awkward. Now I got to go back because I've just taken a few steps away, but it's like, no, you're not done yet. So I took a deep breath and I walked back over there and I sat down. I said, guys, can I can I just say something real quick? 
and the guy's name was Joe. I said, Joe, you said you love her. She's your girlfriend. You want to marry her. And she said she loves you. And you both say you love God. Can I just ask you a question? Are you sleeping with her? Mm. It got, it did get awkward. It, I, I just asked him and he goes, yeah, I am. And, and she started tearing up. And I said, you know, Joe, here's the thing. If you love God and you love her, you're not protecting her very well. If you want to marry her, you got to lead her. And this is what the Bible says. And I just went through and started talking about 1 Thessalonians 4, about what the will of God is. And, and I started talking to him about being accountable. And, and he's listening. She's crying. He's listening. And, but they both were engaged. And, and I said, can I just pray for y'all? And I prayed for him. And I invite him again to come to church more. So it's a second invitation to come listen to the message I was going to preach. And I walked away, and God said, no, you're still not done. <laughs> now I want you to go buy him Bibles. So I had to hunt around for a bookstore there. It's so hard to find Bibles out in town now. You can't get them hardly anywhere. Nobody has them. I went to Barnes & Noble. You can't find good Bibles out there. People don't buy them, so they aren't selling. But I finally found a place that had two good Bibles, and I took them two study Bibles, and I went back out there that evening. I came back. They were still out there when I got back, and I gave them the Bibles, and I said, I just want you to have this. Well, guys, do you know that now on Thursdays, Joe is on the Zoom calls? That was two years ago. Joe calls me, and he says that moment at the pool that day changed his life. Amen. That was a divine appointment. It was God's sovereignty working with human responsibility and human interaction. He wants us to be a part of what He's doing. But we have to shema and then obey, even when it's uncomfortable. If you are divorced or single and older, you don't sleep with women. Right, right. Because they're not your wife. Right. And they may not become your wife. I've been tempted many times. So when we see this, Philip hears, he obeys, and he goes to this eunuch. Now back to Jimmy's question. A eunuch was somebody that was castrated. Or if they were born with some kind of birth defect, they, didn't, they, they were called a eunuch. Jesus said you can be a eunuch by a man making you a eunuch, by you know, uh, a birth defect, or uh, just you choose to be celibate and you can be called a eunuch. But in this guy's case, he was made, he was castrated. And the reason they castrated people who were CFOs like him or people who took care of the, king, the kings, uh, if there's un, there were eunuchs back in the Old Testament, like in the book of Esther, that took care of the king's harem. Why? Because the king didn't want men sleeping with his concubines and his wives so he castrated those guys said okay you're going to take care of my wives and all my girls but you're going to be castrated so that's what he did he did it with financial people and leaders to make sure they didn't get compromised in some way 
or they couldn't sleep with the queen, the queen mother here, and somehow produce an heir to the throne. They didn't want that. And so they castrated him. Yeah, the queen wanted him yeah. to keep his mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And so that was what that meant. And so going back to the text, it says that he came to this eunuch, the queen, uh, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now that was a title like Pharaoh of Egypt. There were lots of Pharaohs, right? The, the title Candace was just the title. It's not a proper name. It was just a title. And this guy was her CFO. And so what we see next is he, he goes to him and he listens. He's reading the text of Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8 is what uh, the right Luke quotes. And the principle in this part is verses you know, 30 through 35 is we have to know His Word and be ready to share. Now think about Philip. Guys, no Jew during this time prior to Jesus and the apostles would have ever considered Isaiah 53 about Messiah being a suffering servant. They wouldn't have thought about Messiah suffering. They didn't understand Isaiah 53. They never would have applied it to Messiah. But now they do. That's why in a lot of Jewish synagogues today, they don't even read Isaiah 53. Do they, Chuck? They don't read it. They just skip over it in their liturgy when they're reading through their yearly reading. But Isaiah 53, think about what Philip... Philip did not go to seminary. He had not spent an inordinate amount of time with the apostles, but he learned from them enough to when he was on the road with this guy... And the guy's reading, he's able to then go to that passage and tell him. It says he started with that scripture. You know what it reminds me of? When Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with the two guys, and it says he started with Moses and the prophets, and he revealed himself. He started right where the guy was. And that's a great principle in evangelism. You start where guys are. And he started right with that passage, and he began to do it. So is it important for us to know the word? Yes, it is. Do we really invest in the Word? Most of the time, we don't. We need to. We go, I can't understand it. Well, how's it working out to have that Bible sitting on your shelf and never cracking it? That ain't going to work. If you do the same thing over and over and think something's going to change, you think it's just going to go from there to there by sitting on my shelf, it ain't going to happen. You, you have to go in there. And of course you can't understand it right away. Any more than a six-year-old could read a calculus book and go, okay, I see how that works out. They can't. A six-year-old, you're trying to teach two plus two is four. And then when you get to you know, uh, later elementary school, you're doing multiplication. Then you get to junior high, you're doing algebra. And then high school, you're doing algebra two and geometry. To Finally, when you're in college, you're at calculus and differential equations. At least my day. Now they're in calculus in high school. But it's a process. And, and you, you, just because you go, I can't understand it, what did this guy say? I, how did I understand it? What did he have to do? He found somebody to help him. God brought a guy to help him. So we have to know the Word. Listen, Joshua 1.8 says, meditate on the Word day and night to do according to all that is written in it. Do we do that? If we don't, we need to repent. We need to confess it and repent. 
Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We're not just witnesses of the facts about Jesus dying on the cross. We're witnesses because how, how do people come to faith in Christ? The Word. The Word. That's why when people say we have to disconnect or detach from the Old Testament, it drives me mad. Because where did this guy start? He started with Isaiah 53. What it says in Romans 10, 14, I said, how will they hear what if nobody preaches? How will they hear if nobody preaches? And how they preach if nobody sends them? Colossians 4, 6 says you've got to know how to answer each person. Know how to respond to each person. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, you know this, all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired, right? It's breathed out by God and profitable. For what? For correction, instruction, reproof, teaching, and, and righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. We, we have to see the value in spending time studying the Bible. We're going to all have to stand before God and He's going to say, I gave you this opportunity. And what would you do with it? We have His Word. It's not like we're in China and we're in some prison and we don't have copies of His Word like they do. We have the Word of God and we take it for granted. And he says, no, know the word, be ready to share. You know, when I was convicted about this, and I'm almost done, guys. Uh, when I was in Kazakhstan back in the 90s, there were 13 Muslim missionaries with me. At a, well, I was at a restaurant with our team. We were doing evangelism. We were going out door to door. And so the owner said, hey, I got some, some of my friends would like to talk to you. And I said, okay, that's great. Do I need an interpreter? No. So... I let the team go out. I stayed in the restaurant. Thirteen missionaries that looked all like out of the Alibaba movie, man. They were like, they had these big beards. They all spoke English. They were all incredibly articulate. And they knew the Bible better than I did. I was embarrassed. I was absolutely embarrassed at how well they knew the Bible. And when they would bring up questions to me and point out passages that I had read over because I'd read through the Bible several times, but I didn't know context. I do now. If I was sitting with those guys now, I would know how to respond to them, but then I didn't. I, I, and I didn't know what to say. And God used that to remind me, Doug, you've got to learn and study. You never get to the place where you don't have to study and learn. So know His Word, be ready to share the good news, and finally, encourage others. Obey His commands. What was one of the commands? To be baptized, right? There's two. For us as believers, that's one of the sacraments. Basically, baptism and communion. Those are commanded things that we have to do to be baptized. The, the external baptism is a sign of what's going on on the inside, but it's a very public proclamation. And, and I'm sure Philip explained that to him. And he says, look, there's water right there. There's water right there. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says what? Go baptize and what? Teach them all I've commanded. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Find faithful men. 
that you can train who will train others, who can train others. Philip, Philip just encouraged him. He went into the water with him to baptize him. And then Philip was gone. Now, we see those three principles, but I also told you last week we're going to see the four marks. Remember what the four marks of uh, true conversion were? Humility, right? Dependence, a heart change, and seeking the face of God, seeking God Himself. Let's see if we see that. Think about the unit. Was he humble? Yeah. What showed he was humble? The Scriptures reveal it. How was he humble? Huh? He asked for help. When he went up to him and said, now you got to remember, here's peasant Philip down here to this CFO going, hey, do you understand what you're reading? If there had been pride there, he goes, yeah, I got it. We do that a lot. But he said, no, I need help. So we see that humility. Is there a dependence? Yes. He invited him up into the chariot. What about a heart change? Was there a heart change? Yes. Did he want to stay just a Jew? No. What did he want to do? He wanted to be baptized. He wanted the world to know that there was something different. And finally, did he seek God? You bet he did. He traveled a thousand miles from Ethiopia just to go to the temple to worship Him in the only way he knew how at that point. Here was a guy seeking God. And what did God do? He's on his way. For some reason, he was in Isaiah. And for some reason, God brought Philip right up beside him. Right to him. Right to him. Divine opportunities, guys. We have opportunities every day. We choose to obey or to ignore them. God's calling you and me to obey him, to be a channel of blessings to those around us. So, Brad, will you close our time in prayer? And then we can open it up. I know guys may have to leave, so go ahead.